the massive challenge of hydrogen. Interview with Florian Kern, episode 63. Welcome to the My Energy 2050 podcast, where we speak to the people building a clean energy system by 2050. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. This week, we speak with Florian Kern. He is the head of the research field of ecological economics and environmental policy at the Institute for Ecological Economy Research in Berlin. He holds a PhD in science and technology policy from the University of Sussex. Florian and I discuss the challenge of hydrogen and what needs to be done before large-scale deployment occurs. We talk about hydrogen-ready infrastructure and whether this is just a PR exercise on the part of the gas sector, or is there really a future of hydrogen being transported like gas is today? I would say our conversation is, is pretty raw in this sense. This conversation with Florian delivers a fairly objective and lively discussion on the requirements of what is needed to make the hydrogen economy part of the industrial base. As you'll hear, the electrification of the energy sector is essential to make hydrogen a reality for industry. I came away from this conversation with a deeper understanding of the massive energy requirements for industry. That's why I'm using massive in the title. Replacing coal or gas, you know, fossil fuels, for industry is a huge challenge that requires giving up fossil fuels in other areas of life in order to enable either the remaining fossil fuels to be used in industry or to enable large-scale renewable energy infrastructure to produce green hydrogen. So uh, if that's too complex, listen to this episode and you'll understand how how the challenges that we faced of producing hydrogen are quite large and how industry can use it in a cost-effective manner. But yeah, there, there's, there's still a lot of ifs out there. And particularly when we start talking about the timeline. By the end of this episode, you should understand that to build the renewable energy infrastructure to produce green hydrogen, then electrification of transport and residential heating needs to occur first. Once sufficient renewables are built to meet everyday uses, then hydrogen can be produced from renewables. Okay, I'm simplifying our discussion, but hopefully that makes sense. So for me, this episode delivers a newer appreciation of the scales of renewables that need to be deployed to produce hydrogen. The promises that the new gas infrastructure being built for hydrogen appears far off because of the massive amounts needed for industry. In short, the energy transition includes hydrogen, but we need to rationally assess the demand for hydrogen in the short term, basically. The cost, this includes the cost and how it can be produced to meet the requirements for industrial processes. A final note, the interview was done for my current role as an Open Society University Network Senior Fellow at Chatham House, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. The funding was generously provided to produce the podcast until the end of 2022. So we have some amazing interviews coming up. The intent of the My Energy 2050 podcast is to spread the knowledge about how the about how the energy system can assist our transition towards a greener future. And just a note that acknowledges my absence for the past few months. I'm back and committed. I had too many commitments these past few months, so I had to cut back a bit. But I am excited to be back and producing more episodes for the next year. Uh, This actually is great because I'm on sabbatical from my day job, which means more time for podcasting. So stay tuned for more great episodes. And now, 
for this week's episode. I'm here today with Florian Kern to discuss hydrogen. Florian, I just want to first start off and thank you for joining the My Energy 2050 podcast. Thanks very much for having me. And and we should mention where we are because we have this unique sound, I think, sound environment. We're in a nice garden. Would you call this like a coffee garden, tea garden? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's a nice coffee place inside a park. Okay, perfect. So we have some outdoor noises, I think, coming through. Florian, my first question to you is about your background. You do a, a, a range of research in the energy sector with, with different policies, different technologies involved, but we're going to specifically talk about hydrogen today. And how did you become interested in this topic, but also kind of what's your career path that brings you to the head of your institute? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I have a degree in political science uh, originally, and then I was very uh, interested in environmental issues, especially climate change, and obviously very much so energy policy since it's so closely related. I did a, uh, an environmental policy and planning degree in Denmark. Uh, obviously, in terms of addressing climate change, clean technologies are really uh, part of the answer, not the only answer, and we can come back to that. So I really became interested in this idea of, of low-carbon transitions and how can we support them, what can policymakers do to um, direct and accelerate the transitions towards low carbon energy systems? That led me to do a PhD at the University of Sussex at SPRU, the Science Policy Research Unit, where you could do a degree in science and technology policy. So, and it's uh, was a, there as part of the Sussex Energy Group, one of the largest independent energy policy research groups that are researching these issues. And um, yeah, I've been studying a range of technologies and the latest hype is hydrogen. And here we are talking about hydrogen. <laughs> yes, but let me, let me go first. The next question will be about hydrogen, I promise. But the d- degree in science and technology, because this is kind of unique, because I would say it's interdisciplinary degree that you got. And so you had to look at technology from a, and science, like, of course, from a different type of angle rather than I'm a geographer so I had kind of this geographic lens or we have sociology that could look also look at social trends and energy but what how does a, a degree in science and technology influence how you approach well technologies in the energy sector yeah it's a good question so um, it's uh, science and technology policy so actually the focus is on policy the, the question is really how can policy support science and technology development and uh, you're right this is an interdisciplinary research area this is something where Spru I did my PhD is one of the world's uh, largest and first centers to study um, the, the development of science and technology in an interdisciplinary way so it draws partly on, on economics um, evolutionary economics especially but also other things like um, institutional theories, political science, and one of the things that was always very close to the heart at Spru is that people need to understand a little bit about the technologies as well that they're studying. So we have quite a few people who had an engineering background who understood uh, a bit of the, the technical issues as well as the social science issues. And it's really that unique combination of bringing together the, uh, these different knowledges to um, study these issues. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So then let's move on to the hydrogen because how does actually how does that inform your approach to hydrogen if we can do that because we definitely have that there's technology out there for hydrogen but and then there's the policy environment so far there's some missing links to make full-scale deployment of hydrogen a possibility my question to you then is why is it so hard for new technologies to be introduced into the energy system yeah that's that's a great question and a great starting point I think what we've seen over the last 20 years or so where people 
have studied these um, historical transitions. And of course, energy systems have historically changed hugely over time. But there are a number of characteristics of energy systems that, that make that a really slow and often painful process. One of them, of course, is that we're very much locked in to current ways of doing things. That's partly because energy is very much a, a sector where you have uh, long-term investments, where you have huge infrastructures, where getting rid of infrastructures entails huge sunk investments. Of course, also, uh, the oil and gas sector are very powerful actors politically. And so, therefore, to do things that are potentially not in their interest is, is, is very difficult to do. So, w when we think about transitions, we really see those as socio-technical uh, configurations that need to change. So, it is partly about the technologies, it's partly, you know, on the production side, it's partly about the infrastructures needed, whether those are or pipelines or what have you um, and of course there's uh, a need for technical change in terms of for example generation technologies so on and so on as I said it's it's about much more than that it's also about cultural issues for example you know if you think about uh, oil and you think about car and car dependency and cultural issues attached with that so there's a range of social issues that come into that there's an, of course a huge role for regulation for policy in terms of I mean energy is obviously a very regulated sector and I mean I think the bigger picture is that you have so many different elements that make up a social technical system that are very closely aligned and are actually working pretty well. I mean, we have a, a relatively good transport system, we have an electricity that when you flick on the light, the light comes on uh, and all the rest of So actually these systems have been developed over decades, there's a lot of investment in them and therefore there are strong interests in keeping things as they are. And if you want to start changing things, you have to literally change all of the individual bits from the technology to the infrastructure to maybe some behavioral issues to market arrangement policies. So th that makes it very difficult and very slow to change things. And then is this one of the areas where uh, hydrogen is attractive? Because you mentioned the oil and gas sector, for example. Hydrogen, I would say, is being promoted as an alternative or just a step away from gas. Uh, in one sense, is the appeal for hydrogen is because it's not a radical change, even though, I mean, we can get into how radical it, a change it is, because in one sense it is. Why, why is uh, hydrogen, maybe I just frame it in a bigger sense, why is hydrogen a, a, a technology that's appealing to many gas companies? Yeah, no, that's a very good uh, reason. I mean, th I think different actors promote hydrogen for different reasons, but I think for the gas companies, uh, it's kind of a way to keep their existing business model alive and maybe even reuse some of the existing infrastructures mm -hmm. you have in terms of um, pipelines, for example. Um, you know, they need to be sort of small technical changes uh, made to the pipeline system uh, because hydrogen is very small, so <laughs> uh, you got to make sure that you're not losing too much on the way, but in, in principle, you can use that. But also, I mean, we're looking at this from a policy point of view, obviously. And uh, I mean, for policymakers, one of the main motivations for thinking about hydrogen, obviously, m more recently, there's been a lot of concern about energy security and the supply of gas. But so that now plays uh, an important role. But w when many countries started the hydrogen programs over the last five years or so, one of the key motivations, of course, climate change and how to decarbonize the whole energy sector as well as the entire economy <laughs> around it. And I think that's the major difference for why there's so much interest in hydrogen now compared to 10, 15 years ago, because back then the main story was how to decarbonize electricity. 
and that's fine and that gets you so far and you can reduce emissions and you know quite a few countries in Europe have made uh, a lot of progress in that regard but now it's you know if we're serious about being carbon neutral by 2050 or in the German case even by 2045 that means decarbonizing the whole economy and you know and over the last five years or so the 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 policy goals have changed dramatically to you know basically that means in every sector of the economy reduced to zero and we have not even begun to understand what that entails how difficult that is and therefore there is this appeal to hydrogen that oh great we can use hydrogen we have a hydrogen economy and hydrogen can decarbonize everything it's not just about electricity or gas it's about the whole economy and is it true <laughs> is it, can hydrogen solve all our problems or 80 percent of our problems from a policy perspective? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think this is actually one of the, the big dangers. I'm not against hydrogen at all. I think hydrogen is an important part of the uh, transition towards a low-carbon economy. But hydrogen has a range of disadvantages. Uh, hydrogen is very energy-intensive to produce. I mean, one thing that people need to understand is that it's not an energy source. It's not like oil or gas. It's an energy vector. <laughs> it's a carrier. So you've got to spend energy on producing that hydrogen in the first place, and then you can use that for all sorts of things. I mean, from our research, what we would say is that there are a range of applications where we have very few or no technical alternative for decarbonization. So if you think about the steel sector, you know, how is the steel sector going to be carbon neutral by 2045? Their hydrogen really does make sense as the main technological option to pursue. And we need to see huge investments in that sector over the next decade or so, so that uh, that can be worked out. So there it totally makes sense. Uh, in other applications, how do we heat our homes? You know, now people go around, uh, you know, now with the energy security concerns is, is, is a whole new ball game. But, you know, even before that, people were going around basically telling people, oh, you don't need to change every, anything. You, you, you have your boilers. You know, yeah. the natural gas companies, for example, yes. the pipeline operators were telling people, no, it's fine. You know, no need to invest in heat pumps. Don't do that because, you know, it'll be all hydrogen. It'll be all fine. And I think yeah. that is a major danger in terms of continuing carbon locking and also locking out better alternatives. Yes. And the last point is maybe about vehicles. Yes. Um, so, you know, people have been talking about <laughs> hydrogen fueled vehicles. Uh, a third of uh, people in service in Germany believe that in 10 years' time yes. they will drive a hydrogen-powered vehicle, not appreciating that most likely that will be an electric vehicle. <laughs> and the okay. hydrogen is just, instead of the battery, <laughs> it's, okay. it's, not a, it's not a combustion engine. Uh, uh, but but uh -huh. that, in, in, th for these types of applications where we do have a direct battery electric solution, it absolutely makes no sense to use hydrogen because hydrogen has, you know, four, five times, six times the energy need compared to just using the electricity oh, really? <laughs> for an yes. electric vehicle. So, uh, uh, but uh. we do see companies push that, of course, nevertheless. Be because because you can more what e easily engineer an internal combustion engine to to use hydrogen rather than going electric car. Is that? No, 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 no. It's it's on the uh, it's in terms of how much energy do you use to drive X amount of kilometers. Okay. And yes. Uh -huh. The point is that uh -huh. you can use that electricity directly in the car uh, to drive those hundred kilometers, or you can first produce electricity. Yes. Then use that electricity oh. to produce hydrogen. Okay. Yes. <laughs> then yes. you produce hydrogen, and you need to get it to the vehicle, basically, <laughs> and, and then convert it back into electricity. So all the losses that you have along that long chain <laughs> make it so that okay. it's not a very efficient way to power uh, a vehicle. Right. I mean, large vehicle. I mean, there is an open question there mm. about 
very heavy equipment, machinery, and stuff like that. But even yes. there, China has been making a lot of progress with different types of batteries. And so I think there it remains a bit of an open question. But from our point of view, sort of um, cars that we drive around and Definitely yes. not a good option. Okay, no, so not it's that. not a silver bullet. And the concern is that the hype basically stops also other low-carbon trajectories. You know, I mentioned heat pumps as an example. So yes. there's a real concern here that if we're telling people, no, it's fine, uh, you know, yes. uh, just keep your gas boilers. Yes. It'll be expensive now, but later we'll have hydrogen and then nothing changes in terms of the business models, in terms of the equipment. Then it's yeah, like really... Pu pumping hydrogen into people's homes. That, yes. That's not logical in the future. No. No. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I want to go back to because you mentioned it and you also addressed it in the car example, but as a vector, hydrogen as a vector kind of could you explain that a bit more and just how the process actually works is this conversion tech technology, for example, in, yeah, in front of you, this green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, maybe talk about what is the difference between these types of colored hydrogens? Yes. And what is how does that make hydrogen a vector? Yeah. vector change or however you I haven't yes. heard that yeah, word yeah. before okay. so yeah so mm -hmm. the 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 point is really that oil and gas were things we tapped into and that energy was there <laughs> it had been converted from biomass a long long time ago but we didn't have to do anything to that. and then we just took it out of the ground and we burned it and that released the energy so also there is of question a question of course how much energy you need to invest to get that energy out so this was the mm -hmm. energy return on investment kind of equation that people have been talking about but hydrogen needs to be produced somewhere it's not to be found it's not like we're tapping into a hydrogen reservoir we we uh, you know, the molecule needs to be produced somehow and uh, we can do that in different ways of course from a, a climate change perspective the m main way in which people imagine that this would be helpful to decarbonizing the global economy would be to use uh, electricity produced via renewables uh, to then produce hydrogen to then use that in different application areas so that's the so-called green hydrogen so mm -hmm. that means you're mm -hmm. using renewable green electricity to produce the hydrogen and then use it for whatever application you want and that's zero or relatively low carbon of course uh -huh. this um is that the best kind of hydrogen? <laughs> yeah, that hydrogen? Is, yeah, from a, a climate point of view, uh, that, okay. that is kind of the cleanest uh, okay, the hydrogen cleanest. in that sense against the climate change targets. That's, that's the best. There is very little of that in Germany, for example, mm -hmm. at the moment. So there are some industrial applications today where hydrogen is used and has been used, for example, in refineries. And that hydrogen is re uh, produced from natural gas. Okay, okay. Um, uh -huh. So that's steam reformation or gasification from natural gas, and that's the so-called gray hydrogen. So that's being used in industry in relatively small quantities, mm -hmm. and that's obviously not renewable. So in terms of the carbon footprint of that activity, that isn't great. Okay, um, right, right. That's the, the green and the gray. Then there's the blue <laughs> hydrogen, yes, which is produced... Exactly the same way as the grey hydrogen, okay. but you capture the emissions. So this is oh. grey hydrogen plus carbon capture and storage or carbon capture and utilization. And uh -huh. then you have uh -huh. your blue hydrogen. I mean, the molecules are always the same. The hydrogen is always the same. <laughs> okay, yes. The, the question yes, is about how do you produce it? Uh, okay, uh, okay. What's the uh -huh. carbon footprint of that activity? Uh -huh. so, so the idea then, so let me clarify then. So grey hydrogen... There's also pink, but it's not on your chart. Yeah, can come to that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So gray hydrogen is when you're converting gas to to hydrogen, but you're not capturing the CO2 emissions from that. That's right. But blue hydrogen is when you're producing hydrogen from gas and you're capturing the CO2 emissions. 
That's correct. Okay. And then what's pink? I love pink hydrogen. What's pink hydrogen? Pink is basically light green. Uh, so you use the same uh, technology, uh, electrolysis, but this is not powered by renewables, but by nuclear. Yes. So that's also a low-carbon uh, option that obviously has a different risk-reward profile compared to some renewables, uh, yes. but that is pink hydrogen. Yes. And then we also have turquoise, uh, which is basically like gray. It's made from gas, but it's using a different technology. So that's uh, done using pyrolysis. And then you oh. separate the carbon out, but it's solid. Okay, okay. I'm not an engineer, so don't ask me <laughs> a detailed question about how that works, but this is kind of the, the color coding of yeah, hydrogen Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things you, you, you bring up, and then let, let's move on quickly, because we don't want to go into into, the, into too much that. Okay, um, so these are all the types of hydrogen, and of course, maybe if there's pink hydrogen in Germany, it's made in France and exported to Germany rather than made in Germany, so that's my joke, but... Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, uh, at the moment it's the other way around, isn't it? <laughs> at the moment, uh, Germany uh, needs to produce a lot of extra electricity, partly yeah. burning gas to deliver it to France because there's a lack of. I mean, but joking yes. aside, this is actually the important point here. Yeah. Uh, I was talking about the efficiency earlier, for example, using it in vehicles, and if you mm -hmm. need five or six times the you know that that electricity to power a vehicle the same distance, it's not a good idea because I mean, in all of this, this is kind of the bottleneck. You were asking, is hydrogen the solution for everything? And I, I do think there are a range of sectors where it's really needed as a solution because we don't have any other uh, possibilities but the big, big bottleneck at the moment is deployment of renewables do we have enough electricity first to fully decarbonize the electricity sector which you know in germany we're about 50 percent there so you know that's that's better than most countries but not yes. good enough we still have a lot of you know coal on our electricity system so uh, yes i mean having accelerated re uh, rollout of renewables is really the basis then for producing that uh, green hydrogen and that will be the bottleneck we will have to accelerate uh, renewables deployment in germany but also all forecasts all studies that you look at say that well will probably import 70% of that hydrogen from abroad, which is not surprising. Germany is, is not a well-resource-endowed country, and it's basically the same situation we're in now. Uh, we're also yes, <laughs> importing uh, most of our energy needs. Um, the difference, of course, is that uh, green electricity can be produced in any country, uh, yes. whereas fossil fuels were obviously concentrated in certain areas and and so where would those imports come from? That's an interesting uh, question. Um, there are kind of uh, negotiations going on between the German government. They have set up a range of, of hydrogen partnerships with uh, mm -hmm. partner uh, countries. Uh, so they're talking about Australia, they're talking to um, Canada, but also a range of uh, African countries in the MENA region, where th the idea is that people would uh, invest in large-scale renewable production capacity, mm. that it would be converted, or the hydrogen would be produced over there, and then we would import it in big uh, tankers uh, like we would now import LNG, okay. liquefied natural it, it's gas. It's because, um, how do I... Uh, yeah, there's different ways, but but it's so much more efficient to produce from renewable energy in say more southern sunny countries or more windy countries. Or yes, it's oh. it's it's uh -huh. it's partly that, and also uh -huh. of course also partly uh, population <laughs> density and how much space 
do you have? I mean, the German okay. government now has this target of, you know, 2% of the country's surface needs to be reserved for wind rollout. Uh, but that's just to green the electricity sector. That doesn't have then, you know, if you... I mean, the numbers are huge. I mean, that's one of the things when we're talking about what are the application areas. And we, uh, mm -hmm. our research, we did sort of a meta study together with colleagues from the Borderstep Institute. And they reviewed the existing evidence. And of course, this is all difficult to assess. But they were trying to uh, figure out sort of what is the how fast could the production capacity and import capacity increase over time mm -hmm. for hydrogen compared to if all these industrial sectors where people now say this is a great opportunity we need to decarbonize you know if, if calculate what, what's their need how much hydrogen yeah. do they actually need and these are completely out of sync okay uh, yeah. because so, it's so big yes i mean you know just uh -huh. the, the the chemical industry or just yeah. the steel industry i mean they are huge energy users uh, I mean, Germany, uh, of course, is a is a pretty industrial economy still compared to other mm -hmm. countries. We, do, I mean, we do have a service sector, but you know, manufacturing is, is big in Germany, so there's also big energy needs of these sectors. Yes, yes. So, and actually, maybe we 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 underappreciate how much how energy intensive industry is. I mean, uh, unless you go and visit one of these facilities, I think like a steel mill or yeah, or chemical industry, right? How much gas they use and how much gas they require. If you think of what Nord Stream, uh, whichever pipeline you want to take, but but it's this huge capacity for moving away from coal, you know, which provided this this power, this energy, and yeah, the the ingredients for um, for the steel mills, for example, like the hard hard coal. Um, but then if you think about the imports that were necessary to maintain German industry in a competitive manner, like a price competitive manner, it was the answer was Russian gas to be more green. And if you think about then if hydrogen is going to replace that, it's a huge amount of I've never thought about that. So it's a huge amount of hydrogen actually that's required to displace gas and let's say fossil fuels from the energy mix for industry. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a huge challenge. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, that was my and that's I mean th th that's why our we, we, we've written a policy briefing about this recently and th that was one of the conclusions to say to policymakers this idea that hydrogen can sort it all out is really unhelpful okay okay uh, yeah because uh, you know from our perspective and I, I was talking about comparing the numbers of what are the maybe production capacities in the future and you know there's obviously huge uncertainty you know <laughs> bars on these estimates but uh, you know just comparing sort of the estimates for what can be produced and what can be imported to what will be needed is so huge that even that just means we probably need to prioritize and say okay mm -hmm. here we don't have a, a, a decent technological alternative for decarbonization therefore this is a priority sector steel has to you know get okay. the, the hydrogen whereas something else where we have a direct electric alternative that's you know technically in terms of the efficiency the better way to go but it's also in terms of the numbers if we don't, if this is a scarce uh, commodity in the future, yes. uh, for the foreseeable future, then we need to, you know, invest it where the where we get the biggest carbon reduction. Right, from right. It. Which would be industry. I mean, from looking at it now, is is from industry. Then next question. My next question is: What are the key technological developments that need to be solved? Because in one sense, we've talked about the policy and. Actually, I mean, it's a, it's a huge challenge, m much more than I've ever even thought about. And I know you're coming from this from a policy perspective, but even looking at that, what are some of the technological challenges that the research is showing now to de deploy hydrogen at a larger scale than what it is now? I mean, I, th I think there are a range of, of technical issues that have to do with scaling up. So we've just 
you know talked about the vast scale that that industry would would have to be and i think history of technological developments shows that you know scaling up is a good thing in terms of economies of scale it also leads to some teething problems often technically that it's not that straightforward to do the same thing at a one megawatt scale and then to do it at a gigawatt scale uh, mm, which you would yes. need to do uh, that this is not so straightforward there so there may also uh, may be a range of, of teething issues because i think in the terms of the core technology at, at least in terms of uh, um, electrolysis which is kind of the main pathway right now that is being pursued um, i think that will be the major issue. It's not so much, you know, we need R&D and we need all sorts of <laughs> new technologies. Although, I mean, I was at a stakeholder event uh, here in Berlin yesterday uh, where there was a range of industry people and they were basically saying, well, why is there this monopoly on this one technological solution? Surely there are a range of ways in which we can produce hydrogen and uh, can we, not, you know, should the government not be spending more money on this? And I'm, I'm not against that. And obviously it's, it's good to have alternative uh, pathways and, R&D is also from a policy perspective is relatively cheap to support some R&D and you know it's a good idea if i mean if we are to become a hydrogen economy uh, then surely it's worth spending some money on exploring alternative technologies but i think yes. what what's at stake now is really the rollout the scaling up um, and there, I think it's it's actually not so much the I mean there are the teething issues that I mentioned, but it's mainly about you know upscaling, cost reduction, uh, economies of scale, uh, and rollout. Okay. <laughs> I think that's the uh -huh. main challenge. It's uh -huh. a rollout. And um, uh, you mentioned you were at a stakeholder event. Maybe yeah, I don't know what what phase of the research that was, but but could you maybe give some feedback or discuss what was discussed? What was some of the industry feedback about hydrogen? Or in general, what what are you hearing? There was huge interest, and there was uh, uh, companies from all across uh, the the chain, if you want, from people who uh, produce technologies to produce hydrogen to industries that are interested in uh, uh, maybe buying it, using it in their uh, production facilities. So there is a, a lot of interest in hydrogen. Uh, there were quite a few also gas companies okay. uh, <laughs> interested uh, in that, and uh, we talked a little bit about that. And I think... What they're mainly asking for is Germany has a hydrogen or has had a hydrogen national hydrogen strategy uh, since two years ago. And uh, they've uh, developed a range of, of policies uh, to support hydrogen. And they wanted to provide some clarity to the industry that, yes, we are planning with hydrogen and that this is an area worth investing in. So I think there is I think they got industry on board. I think there's a lot of interest in that. Yes. Uh, but they were also pointing, of course, to a lot of open uh, questions. There were two uh, panels with uh, policymakers, some from uh, the respective German ministries, so the Ministry for Research and um, uh, and uh, Education, as well as the the uh, Ministry for Economic Affairs and uh, Climate Change, uh, and of course they have to do their homework. They have to <laughs> have good subsidy uh, available for these things. But people were also pointing to the European level, where mm -hmm. there, you know, we discussed about green hydrogen. In principle, this definition of what is green hydrogen is fairly straightforward. Yes. Um, but in practice, it's not that much, or at least not in the first formulation, uh, uh -huh. because it actually that that definition is being worked on at the European level. Okay. And that was one of the things that the stakeholders pointed to yesterday to say, because in one sense, what policymakers are trying to do is to, uh, to make sure that this is additional green electricity that's being used to produce the hydrogen and it's not taking off the grid uh -huh. to produce hydrogen and then we use coal... <laughs> Yes. To bolster our electricity, <laughs> to supply electricity. So the, so and the question is, how do you do that? Is that a, a second by second thing that you have to balance? 
uh, and you have to make sure that the you know the grid is 100% renewable and then only uh, then it's green hydrogen yes or is it uh, I, I think you're just taking from the grid but there it's also maybe 10 15% coal in there well, well that's a different matter i mean i think uh, that that can be served uh, that can be solved via a certificate solution okay. so you know okay. overall your consumption is this and you have to you know make sure that all of this what you bought is green electricity so it's not so much a question of what's in the grid it's more a question of is this additional <laughs> electricity that is being used or are you taking oh. it from the electricity system and that means other electricity users uh, use coal mm -hmm. <laughs> or there's more coal on the system. So I think there's a, a compromise being worked on. But so that's kind of one of the things that uh, stakeholders were pointing to. So we need to have that definition. We need to have it soon. Otherwise, we can't make any uh, investment decisions. But then this is really, let, let me break that apart a bit because this is really difficult then because are they saying or anyone saying that you need dedicated infrastructure, green energy, like solar wind producing just green hydrogen like it's set aside this infrastructure that's dedicated for producing hydrogen i think the point is you need additional capacity to generate that green electricity mm -hmm. and that's really the core otherwise this is not Uh, part of a decarbonization strategy. Yes, yes, yes. And whether that is, I mean, it, so that's dedicated investments, whether that is then linked up to the grid, I think, you know, that's a technical question. Uh -huh. But uh, yes, th there will be huge <laughs> needs for green electricity. And that's the, the point. And yes, the, uh, yes. And so, um, I mean, this then maybe maybe we'll go to, to the EU level or, or goals overall. And this is not so much about hydrogen, but more about electricity and kind of the I would say fit for 55 or repower EU plans that it makes these targets that they have, and I won't say what the targets are, but but makes these targets like the decarbonization of the energy sector even more important, especially you know on the everyday use of electricity. Let's say that electrification uh, of transportation and electrification of, of heat, and it makes those things those targets even more important because then some of the other infrastructure to produce hydrogen or that can feed into industry is really important then to make this transition. Not to have like existing carbon producing fossil fuels in the energy system while some of it, yeah, there's insufficient capacity for industry. Yeah, that is okay. what I was talking okay. That is the main challenge. That uh, We need huge amounts of green electricity, basically, <laughs> is the point. We yes. need huge infrastructure for that. We need huge amount of investment for that. Yeah. And it, first and foremost, of course, we need to sort out the electricity sector. Uh, that needs yeah. to be 100% low carbon. And then we will have a whole range yes. of additional needs on electricity okay. uh, for decarbonization, transport, heat, uh, but also that hydrogen that needs to be produced. Yes. And yes. therefore this plea that we you only use hydrogen where there's no other option, where we can directly use electricity, let's do that. That's much more efficient. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Because yes. otherwise the, the quantities quadruple another time yeah, yeah, to yeah. do that. So it's, it's really a numbers game and it's really important. And I mean, I think that's also one of the... Uh, roles of the uh, at the European level to help fund that infrastructure rollout and connect things up. I mm -hmm. mean, people are talking about hydrogen pipelines, hydrogen infrastructure, a backbone. So that's another uh, uh, role for policy as well. It's not just to provide certainty about the investment and and the definitions of what is green hydrogen and so on and so forth, but also in terms of this uh, infrastructure. And there's a there are funding programs underway where there are. Uh, 
the commission is funding a range of these projects that are supposed to be linked up and provide sort of a backbone of a um, hydrogen infrastructure in Europe. Yeah, exactly. So let me follow up. I have two more questions and we, we can end this. One is building the gas infrastructure now and, and then saying it's like dual use or, or I think there's there's a specific term for this, right? And, and how much... Is They're talking about hydrogen ready. Hydrogen ready, yeah, that's exactly right. Dual use technology is something else, right? But but hydrogen yeah. ready, and how much is it about making the gas infrastructure hydrogen ready? But then how much does that perpetuate the use of gas? Like I, yeah, I was just at a conference here, and there's going to be like four or five new LNG terminals in Germany. Like this is what's being planned. Yes. Uh, hydrogen ready, probably, right? That's the plan. That's in the contract. Yeah, it's in the contract. But then how much does that lock the system into gas then? Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I think this is a really difficult topic because obviously there is an energy shortage crisis right now in Germany and obviously we need to import gas in the short run uh to power the economy, to heat people's homes. That's not something that can we can change overnight. I mean one can decry that of course the last ten, fifteen years policymakers should have done much more <laughs> yes. to get away from fossil fuels and we wouldn't be in that situation. But I mean that's a mute point. We yes. are in this situation yes. and therefore these LNG import terminals uh, are being built and will help us to get over this winter and next year's winter. But it's a really important point about this, isn't this continuing carbon lock-in? And that's one of our concerns. We were talking about this earlier in terms of the heating. And I think it is a major risk now to pe tell people, no, 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 just keep your boilers, it's fine. We'll sort you out with LNG this year and next year. And then at some point yeah. we'll have a hydrogen. Because as I said, it's a real numbers game. And if we don't manage to produce or import the kind of you know, huge scale we need to, what's going to happen? They're yes. just going to run on natural gas. Yes. For a long time. Yeah. And we cannot afford this to happen. And this is also where, where I get worried, uh, coming back to that stakeholder conference yesterday. There was then a discussion about, ooh, why is it that we're only talking about uh, green hydrogen? Isn't it the case that if we want this quick scale-up, this quick rollout that the government is talking about, don't we then need to also do grey hydrogen and, and, and all the other ones in between? And there was a real discussion going on there. And many people in the industry were, saw that as a way, well, this is an enabler of green hydrogen in the long run, or this is a bridge to green hydrogen, but for now we need to do everything. To be honest, I'm not convinced by these arguments at all. I think these are interest-driven uh, arguments. And, um, you know, the, the German Advisory Council on Environmental Policy has published on this a great report and there was someone presenting their findings yesterday and they were saying, well, we don't really buy that argument because if we want to be climate neutral by 2045, yeah. that use of grey hydrogen probably would have to stop a few years earlier. Let's say 2040. These people who are at the conference presenting that they can do grey hydrogen they were saying, yeah, we can do this now. Uh, obviously, it's very small. If we need to scale that up, we need to develop that a little bit. So we couldn't do it right now, but maybe by 2030, we'd be up and running. And then I'm thinking, okay, 2030 till 2040, a huge infrastructure, very capital intensive for 10 years. How is that going to be a bridge? It's going to be a very expensive and very short bridge. Yes, yes. Uh, can't and last. in terms of climate impact, obviously, I mean, what we're interested in at the end of the day is not to reach some kind of arbitrary mark in 2045. It's the cumulative emissions over time. I don't see how hydrogen that is yeah. produced from natural gas is a helpful bridge in that sense at all. Yes, yeah, I agree. And the, my last question, and maybe that shouldn't be the last question, so let me, maybe I throw in a, a soft question after this one. And you mentioned it, the high, high energy price. 
how much is the high energy price accelerating this discussion and could accelerate the deployment of really green hydrogen? There is, uh, I've seen reports and estimates of the cost of green hydrogen and that for the first time ever, it was cheaper than gray hydrogen, simply because wow. the gas price is so high. Uh, I mean, also, of course, costs of renewables have come down tremendously over the last year. So I yeah. think that stacks up in favor of, of green hydrogen. But it's still, I mean, someone has to <laughs> take investment decisions and build all that infrastructure. Yes. Uh, and that uh, will not be based on just, you know, the last six months of energy prices. That's always a long-term calculation. And I have heard at the stakeholder conference also energy world people talk about, well, this is just a temporary blip and it's those prices will not stay like that. They will go down again. So if that's the mindset, if that's kind of the expectation that in the future gas again will be plentiful and cheap, then maybe it's not as much of a help as, uh, as, it, uh, as we may like it to be. But on the other hand, I think also this energy security crisis uh, that we now face has hammered home the message that it is important to diversify our energy imports um, and uh, that people need to think about what are the alternatives to fossil fuels. So I think that is a message that was clearly received by many stakeholders across the economy. Yes. And excellent. policy as well. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, Florian, thank you so much. That was brilliant. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We produce the My Energy 2050 podcast to learn about cutting-edge research and the people building our clean energy system. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode, please share it. The more we spread our message of the ease of an energy transition, the faster we can make it. You can follow us on LinkedIn, where we are the most active on the My Energy 2050 webpage, or on Twitter and Facebook. I'm your host, Michael LaBelle. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.